I too want to join Pat in uh, welcoming everyone tonight. Uh, it's been a great day. I was a little disappointed that uh, they listed my name in the bulletin that I was going to speak tonight. And I noticed that most of the congregation read the bulletin and they took off to the park. So I'm glad that you didn't read your bulletin today. <laughs> I got a lot of encouragement from my wife. She said, uh, what are you going to speak on tonight? And I said, humility. And she said, humility? And I said, yes. And she said, well, I'll tell you, when you deliver that sermon, I want you to come forward. <laughs> on a more serious note, uh, the most difficult thing for me in choosing uh, when I do speak, uh, what to talk about, I don't want to be guilty of just filling time and it not mean anything to any of us. I think when we do come together, it should be for the purpose of edification and, and, uh, and encouragement. And uh, so I look at myself and say, what, uh, what do you need? And I'm going to introduce the topic by uh, telling you a story I ran across that was kind of neat. So the young couple moved into a new neighborhood. And the next morning while they're eating breakfast, the young woman sees her neighbor hanging wash outside on the line. And she said, that, that laundry's not very clean that that neighbor lady is hanging up. Uh, she doesn't know how to wash properly. Perhaps she needs a, a better laundry soap. And her husband looked on but remained silent. And every time her neighbor would hang up her wash to dry, the young woman would make the same comments day after day. About one month later, the woman was surprised to see a nice clean wash on the line and said to her husband, look, she has learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her this. And the husband said, well, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. <laughs> and I think that's the way it is with life, isn't it? That what we see when watching others uh, depends on the purity of the window that we're we're, we're looking through. And so I want to talk a little bit about uh, this word called humility. And the more I study the Bible and the older I get, I don't think there's any question but what God looks at our heart. And he wants to see a, a, a humble person and thinking of others more than self. A long time ago when we were studying grace up in Rantoul, the author of a book made a statement there, and I've shared this with our adult class before, but he said, life is pretty simple. He said, all it is really is self over here on one hand and God over here, and we move along as we live our life, and the whole idea is to become more God-like as we move and, and less self. And uh, I, when we talk about humility, I think that's what that is. Uh, we get concerned about exactly what God's word says about some things sometimes, like uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper. And I don't, I'm not uh, criticizing any of that. And, and our, our singing and our attendance and, and all of that. And all that is great and necessary. But sometimes we fail to talk about little day-to-day -day things that involve our heart that might be the essence of Christianity, really. 
Uh, I'm not very good at receiving, being on the receiving end of a blessing. Uh, I feel better when I'm on the giving end. But we about to, I don't know if it's been a year yet, I don't think it has. I was driving through a Kentucky Fried Chicken, chicken and when I got up to the window to pay, the lady said, the driver in front of you just paid yours. You don't, you don't owe us anything. And she handed me the order. And I was so shocked. I'd never had that done before. And uh, so we paid for the next driver <laughs> that was behind us. And I thought of our green cards that we practice here in the congregation. And, and uh, that's, that's a neat feeling when you have that happen to you and also when, when it happens the other way. And there's three points that I'd like to, uh, to make tonight concerning uh, humility that I ran across some time ago and, and sure makes a lot of sense. Humility is not down in the mouth with, no, with a terrible self-image or walks around looking at the ground. And, and I think David used a similar example when he was talking about a servant in one of his sermons some time ago. Uh, the practice of, of humility is a way of life it is the way that we value other people and the way we treat other people it was very very important in the teaching of Jesus and I know some of you probably are thinking of the song when you mentioned humility uh, about the song that uh, uh, Mac Davis made popular. It's, it's so hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Uh, each time I look in the mirror, I get better looking each day and so on. Well, that's not the kind of humility that I want us to think about. But I guess Mac made a ton of money on, on that song. And this word is a little different, but the, the first point is the practice of humility involves condescension in our associations. Webster defines condescension as a voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity in relations with our inferior. Whether we admit it or not, whether we like it or not, or whether it's right or not, each one of us has an unwritten status in our life. It might be due to our jobs, uh, our uh, participation in community activities on various boards or uh, wealth, lack of wealth, you name it, each of us has a status. And it's real easy for us to only associate with people of status and our, our friends. And we may not think often enough about our other associations. And Jesus was wanting to call this attention to his disciples because uh, they got concerned about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven and who's going to be on the right and who's going to be on the left. And so he brought to himself a little child and he said, I want you to look at this little person and I want you to become as them. Unless you become as a little child, you, can, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think in a lot of ways he was talking about humility, that we need to humble ourselves. I had the privilege, uh, I think it was in the late 80s, we were involved in uh, 
trying to improve our personnel selection interview process, and so I had to go for a training, and I had the privilege of having breakfast one morning with a, a friend of mine that went with me to the workshop, and also Coach John Wooden that used to be at UCLA. And the workshop was about all of us studying his interview, his teacher interview. And I knew Coach Wooden was an outstanding coach. Uh, he won, I think, 10 national championships in 11 years when he was at UCLA. It's a record that will never be matched, probably. But I, I was thrilled when I studied his tape, uh, what an outstanding teacher he was. And uh, that's the way you learn about good teaching, is to study good teachers. But I've never been around such an humble, humble person as, as that morning. And he told us story after story, I could keep you here the rest of the night, that was just very impressive. And each one of them had a touch of humility to it. Well, the people that ran the workshop wanted to take all of us over to a child care center that they had started for their employees. And I don't know how many kids they had there at that time, it was in the early stages, but they probably had uh, 30 kids. They were a pretty large organization. Uh, in later years, they bought out the Gallup Poll, and they're located in Lincoln, Nebraska. A very impressive operation. Anyway, there was about 15 adults, I guess, in the group that I was with that went over to this center, and John Wooden was one of them. And of course, he was the centerpiece and they were all talking in a wad here and they turned around to talk with Coach Wooden and he wasn't there. And so they started looking for him and we looked down the room a little ways and he was down on the floor and he had kids all over him in his lap and, <laughs> and uh, so they had to call him up there. <clears throat> and I thought of the, the parable that Jesus, when he called his disciple, unless you become as a little child and John loved the kids and, and uh, just was very courteous. We had a banquet that night and he was inducted into this company's Hall of Fame, Teacher Hall of Fame they called it. And we got a chance to, to meet him. And did you know that he walked over to each table and apologized for having to leave that evening? He had to get back and get some sleep because he was flying out to uh, Detroit for the All-American uh, presentation he had to make up there and I thought to myself how many major college coaches would come over and apologize three times for leaving early <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't name any and that, that's uh, I don't know why I'm sharing that with you other than it just struck me uh, uh, he's just a very humble person and, and one that you'd want to emulate uh, I would have loved to have played for him Psychology Today got word of his, well, they knew about his success in coaching, and they wanted to know if we could go study him for a while and see if we could apply that in the classroom. And so they uh, did that, and then they wrote an article afterwards. It wasn't but about a page in, in, in their magazine. And they said, well, we see him teach, we see him reteach, we see him scold some, and then we see him praise a little bit. And, th and that was the essence of that article. And then in a little short paragraph at the end, it said, oh, by the way, we understand that he takes a personal interest 
and each player off the floor. <laughs> and what they didn't know, that was the essence of his success. He, he had a skill called individualized perception, and he saw each person that he met as a unique individual and treated them that way, regardless of stature, whether it's a small child, a poor person, or other. And, uh, and that's, that's just some characteristics that, that was great. If we're in a crowd of people, we oftentimes have important people to see, or we have things to talk about, or we just see our friends, and we have plans to make maybe, or things to talk about, and it's easy for us to not notice other people around us, and especially people lesser status than, than we have. And this whole idea of the kind of humility that, that Christ was trying to get across uh, is much more than that. Uh, I mentioned about him uh, bringing the little child to the disciples. And, and later on, he, he uh, took his towel and he washed the disciples' feet. And that's, that's one of my favorite series of passages in the book of John about that because I, I really think that shows Christianity and I think that's what he was trying to teach his apostles that if you want to be great, you got to serve. And if you want to be first, you got to be last. And uh, there's such a great lesson there for us. And the second point I want to make is the, the practice of humility in addition to the condescending encouragement is that it involves serving the needs of other people. In Luke 22 and 24, it says, also a dispute rose among them to which of them was being considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For which is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I'm among you as one who serves? This organization I was telling you about did a lot of research on that. And when they go in and study companies and particularly the CEOs and so forth, and when they interview employees, the ones with the highest morale throughout the nation and all of their studies. They say, show me a CEO that serves and has a servant attitude and I'll show you a company that's doing pretty well and has good morale and uh, employees don't want to leave. Uh, that is a, a, a great atmosphere. It's one who is really sincerely caring about the needs of, other, of others. When Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples that I mentioned, uh, he said, uh, in essence, he was saying, I want to make you feel good. I want to make you feel important. And the disciples did not know how to take it. In John 13, 13, Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, 
and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. When we serve someone else, we say to that person, you are worthwhile, you're important. We sometimes play these mental psychological games with each other. We, we acknowledge to another person that they are important and that puts us in a certain vulnerable position, doesn't it? That person could put us down, but we have to take that chance. We have to practice humility and serve other people regardless and say that you are important to me. Some higher person or some person that uh, wants to associate with us sees us doing that to a lesser person sometimes and there is a gamble in there that they may not want to associate with us in the future. There, there's always that possibility. But we know what God wants us to do in that area. <coughs> Excuse me. Are we willing to practice humility as Jesus said to practice it? It is challenging. It is a challenging, challenging lesson. Get up and get the tea and pour it for other people. Get them some food. Help take care of someone's yard. Uh, young people, go and get someone for your mom and dad, for your little brother or sister. Go to the hospital. Visit someone. Give someone a drink of water. I have to compliment this congregation because I think it, it, it does a great job in that of reaching out to people. And one of the reasons that Noretta and I settled here was that I really admire the, the evangelistic attitude of this congregation and the, the caring attitude. And it seems like when a need arises, people are there to, to take care of it. And uh, I think we've been here since 2003 and it has been a joy to, to be in that type of atmosphere. I have a really close friend that's in an atmosphere in a church that's not like that. And there's, there's, there's a little bit of turmoil and, and it's, uh, he's kind of uneasy and he's wondering about the future and he's wondering what he's gonna do in this type of feeling. And I don't think that's what God wanted us to be. I think he wanted us to be one in unity. And of course he teaches that in 1 Corinthians in chapter one. And the last point I wanna make uh, is Jesus taught that the practice of humility involves the sincere practice of repentance in our lives. Luke 18 and nine, the Bible says that he spoke this parable unto those who were confident of their own righteousness and he looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And all of us are familiar with this. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like all the other men, the robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector, tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
and he who humbles himself will be exalted. How many times in the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ is that phase uh, repeated? God wants us to understand our position before him. Uh, We need to understand, and I think we do, that every person is a sinner and stands before God in that condition if it were not for his grace. And if we practice this regularly in lives, talking about our prayer life, of praying this type of prayer, uh, this will involve a complete willingness to admit we are wrong and, and asking for forgiveness and seeking to do better in our lives. Like the example in Luke, the example of the sinful woman who came came in before Jesus, she was practicing humility, she was concerned. She wasn't concerned what everybody thought when she came in there and she was crying. She got down at his feet, wet, wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair, and was so sorry for her sins, completely open to the Lord. She was practicing humility. The attitude of humility might epitomize in what happened to the prodigal son in Luke 15, 16. He was a broken person at the end of that, wasn't he? He was bankrupt before God. And this true regular repentance in our lives creates in us an attitude that's conducive to the practice of humility to other people. And this is closely associated, as I mentioned, to our prayer life. Because when we have a regular prayer life, we're a beggar before God. And being in that state of begging shows humility. 1 Peter 5.5, Peter gave some instructions to the new Testament church on humility. He said, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So as David would say, what do we learn? (laughs) There's three points. Jesus taught humility by encouraging us not to condescend in our, or to condescend in our associations that no one is too good for us to associate with. And we must practice humility by serving the needs of others. And we must practice it by a sincere practice of repentance in in our lives. I don't know if someone sent me this. I think they might have. And since then I have seen it on the internet. And uh, I thought it would be a good way to end our lesson. It says, when I say I am a Christian, I'm not shouting, I'm clean living. I'm whispering, I was lost. And now now I'm found and forgiven. When I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and need his strength to carry on. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting I have failed and need God to clean my mess. 
when I say I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say I'm a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartaches, so I call upon his name. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who receives God's good grace somehow. Again, I really appreciate you, you being here, and, and, uh, and I hope the lesson has, has been an encouragement to you. There may be uh, some in our audience that have never named the name of Christ, they're visiting with us, and, and uh, we, know, we want you to know that we're happy to have you and that you're our honored guest. And uh, if you've never named the name of Christ and you'd be willing to express your faith and confess Jesus before men and, and turn your life around and be baptized for the remission of sins, it would be our honor to, to help you do that. Or if those that are any that need prayers in any way that would, uh, would like for us to do that tonight, uh, we stand ready to do that. I want to encourage all of us to keep those families that have lost what loved ones in your prayers and uh, keep Griff in your prayers and those others that are having surgery this week. And, and uh, uh, prayer is powerful, and, and we need to do that. Won't you come?